0: Welcome to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the Hawkeye Psychic Podcast. This is our weekly rugby podcast. Delighted to have Liam O'Brien with me, resident uh, podcast pundit, along with Joe McCarthy from Irish Abroad. You might know him with soccer, but Joe's a very avid rugby uh, union fan. And I know Liam and Joe, you were both at the Viva Stadium uh, to witness a comprehensive win for Ireland. How are things?
1: uh yeah mark uh thanks for having me on uh doing pretty well i'm just about defrosted from uh from sitting on the, the on the sideline in the, the lower east stand on saturday afternoon but other than that i'm doing good
2: yeah good hard things to do anyway Lim? yeah man yeah yeah yeah. still still kind of recovering yourself that that's really the sign of the six nations weekend and a good celebration afterwards yeah man yeah i suppose just to start that's Full house at the
0: Viva Stadium, what was it like being back in a full house, not a lot of Welsh fans around Dublin at uh, the eve of the game? Uh, what were your overriding emotions probably before and during during the game, really? Do you want to, like, kind of kick off with yourself? Uh, it was a relief,
1: to be honest. I mean, it's the the. I was thinking just when I was walking up to the stadium, when was the last time I was at a Rogan match? Because I did manage to go to a few football games in the second half of last year, and I think, and I'm I'm open to correction on uh, on this by anyone who knows me, but I think the last time I was at a live rugby match was the St Stephen's Day game between Munster and Leinster in 2019. So it's been a, a long wait uh, before I was able to see the, a, an oval ball game again. Um, and look, uh, when the when the the crowds returned uh, for the autumn internationals last year. Uh, it actually coincided with my wedding, so I was I was unable to get the permission slip to to either leave that or to to leave the honeymoon to go and watch a game in Aviva Stadium. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a massive relief to be finally back uh, in a in a full Aviva Stadium as well. I think the conditions uh, I don't know how it looked or how it sounded on on telly, but the conditions I think might have dampened the crowd a little bit but in the build up to a kick off you know the the anthems um you know the, the Welsh fans are that great chorus that they always bring um definitely lifted the lifted the the atmosphere a little bit and then to hear Aaron Avian and Ireland's call yeah it was uh it was good to be back that's uh, that's the best way of putting
2: it yeah What's so
0: fairly What about yourself
2: yeah i, I see I, I, um the Iron and Wales games always, you know, the Welsh really bring a big crowd over and it's just always gonna be a good weekend anyway. But it's just the the whole walk up to the stadium, I thought it was very special, you know. It was the first time that I was back there since Ireland Wales in I say, twenty nineteen. Yeah, I think it was February twenty nineteen. So so that was that was the, the last time I was there. And um I actually sang the three three anthems if you want to call it, Mark. <laughs> I give a go at it anyway, you know, and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, and just, I, I, I thought, you know, particularly in the first half, the, the crowd was really, um, had plenty to shout about, basically. Oh, Indeed,
0: yeah. yeah, because we can launch right into it, guys. I mean, such a dominance display from Ireland, but, I mean, I have I have a headline here, return of the Mac, Mac Hansen, welcome to Test Match Rugby, you know. And I don't know if there was a bit of scouting going on in terms of Reece Hammett before the game. There had been reports on the TV, particularly on RT coverage, that Reece Hammett had basically limped off of warm-up. But in fairness to Matt Hansen, what an impression to make a 35-metre game setting up the, the opening try and being fairly instrumental in Bundy's uh, opening try. Um, uh, Joe, what was your kind of uh, general reaction?
1: It was uh, that was actually on the opposite side of the pitch to where I was. I was in the the lower east end, um, <clears throat> and I was expecting it to be kept fairly tight in the early uh, contest between the two teams. Um, you know, we had such a fantastic set of results in the autumn internationals, uh, whereas Wales not as good but still pretty good. And I was thinking, you know, on top of that, their their club sides are not doing great in Europe this season, whereas we have all four teams. In the uh, you're know, still in European competition after the the Six Nations ends, um, so I did expect Ireland to win, and I did expect Ireland to play well before kickoff. I didn't say that because I didn't want to jinx it, uh, but to get uh, such an early score, and you know, I think it it really surprised everyone, um, and you know, Hansen to the manor born, you know, is is first. Uh, his first experience of international test rugby, and, you know, it looks like he's been playing it all his life. Uh, When you consider that, you know, he only has, he hasn't even gotten into double figures uh, for Connacht yet. Um, And even some people were saying, was it too early to parachute him into the the national setup? Uh, You'd have to wonder, like, why didn't he play in in November? Um, Yeah, and then, you know, Aki, again, people were saying you know, did he, de- uh, did he deserve the starting position, but he, uh, he opened the score and he did exactly what, what he can do. Um, he got, uh, he got points on the board straight away. Um, and I think it set him up for the rest of the game. Uh, I felt he probably ran Hanson close for Madden a match, but to be honest, I think there was, uh, five or six different contenders for that. I mean, you know, Conway with two tries, um, I thought Sexton again uh, was was imperious. We I, I I've always hated playing Wales because you never know how it's going to go, and I hate playing Wales knowing that you need a win. Um, but this was this was a poor Welsh side, uh, as poor as I've seen in a long time. Um, and I watched the the under twenties game the night before, um, and it, well, I don't know if it's just a blip because they are Wales are the current champions, but you know their their senior team. Uh, looked very poor, and you know they're going to be up against Scotland against Scotland next next weekend, um, and their under twenties. You know that was a train session for the Ireland side. Um, to be honest, the biggest disappointment on the day on Saturday was the the late try from from Basham. Uh, I, I genuinely felt we were going to walk out of that out of Aviva Stadium uh, having kept Wales scoreless.
0: Exactly, uh, Joe. Uh, yeah, Liam. What what stood out for you? on
2: uh, this Irish performance uh, well again know. like as 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 as, as you alluded to there from the off like Hansen just that scintillating um run up the the left and then to be involved pretty much soon after in in whipping uh, out that pass to, to Aki. and just every time he got the ball actually in that match he made meters very very clearly um what well, stood up to me, I, I honestly, I think, I think Furlong and Byrne, um, in terms of their passing, in terms of the Irish ruck ball, was like just so so quick. It just you you can't have any defence when you have a ball that quick um, during the game. And I, I think that you know he, the back row were just immense for Ireland. Uh, van der Fleer is a small guy, but his carrying was was brilliant and his link-up play as well um in terms of sexton i mean sexton had almost a complete game yeah he did have those two early early misses but um his overall play the loop was back and the loop was working as well exactly and uh ring rose and and aki were just scintillating in in midfield as well yeah exactly i I wouldn't
0: fault sexton too much you know looking for points on the board like uh, you said it, Joe, yourself, trying to defrost from the Aviva on Saturday, but it looked to me as if it was a very squally, windy day in Dublin, you know. And when that wind whips around the Aviva Stadium, that ball can go anywhere. So I wouldn't be too guilty on Sexton, but I really thought the front five performance from Aaron Reed had set the tone in the first 20, 30 minutes. Um, just, I thought the scrum, the set piece, particularly Wales, struggled all ends up on the lineup, even to secure, even primary line-out possession there were 66% on the line-outs but I just thought pack-wise the front five given Ken Owens, Adam Jones being out of the side Ireland asked a question early and really from a Welsh perspective the front five as a unit I thought absolutely capitulated on the day Um, and as well as that the quick ruck ball was exposing Tompkins and particularly Josh Adams in defensive shifts really I mean, I think Adam's wise, three penalties conceded, two missed tackles. There was a yellow card as well for, you know, the Sexton tackle. I don't know what you thought about that one, guys, but thought that may have been a 50-50 call for a red card. I don't know what your reaction was.
1: Uh, Well, it was at the opposite end of the pitch to where I was. So when I saw it, it was on, as it was being replayed on the big screen when they called for the the TMO. And the opinions of everyone, of myself and everyone around me, was that that's right. Like there was, and again, look, this is just how it looked to me. There was no duty of care going into contact. There was no attempt to wrap. To he led with the shoulder. Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure if there was head contact or if it just looked that way uh, from the replays that they showed. Um, but he was very, very lucky to only uh, get a yellow card for that. It could have easily been a red. Um, and look sexton has been targeted throughout his career you know he's not he's not the physically biggest player in the world he's not the uh, most muscular player in the world and i think and look throughout his career he's been targeted as a soft touch and he's not he is well able to take a tackle and get back up after it now having said that the man is 36 years old he'll be 37 in july um 36 is very much in my rear view uh mirror and if I think if I took a hit like that uh, when I was 36, I wouldn't have gotten up, um, and I certainly wouldn't have been able to take anything approaching a place kick. Um, just going back to what you said about the the kicks that he missed, I thought it was a little interesting that the, he missed uh, in the in the first half, uh, and like the, he was kicking into the the end of the stadium with the the lower. Uh, lower roof, lower ceiling, I'm not sure what you'd call it, where the wind, yeah. that's where I was, and the wind was quite strong there the whole way through the game. But for the second half, when he was kicking into <clears throat> the South Terrace, uh, he changed his kicking style a little bit, and I thought he was trying to keep the the ball a little bit lower. Like, obviously, still high enough to clear the crossbar, but he wasn't aiming for the top of the post. He was aiming for a little bit uh, lower down, maybe halfway down. Um and I think he, he had a better kicking percentage in the second half. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him, you know, nailing everything uh, next again in Paris.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah, I suppose, Liam, you know, Andrew Conway, it was a superb performance from him. Given the front football that the back three were getting here, two tries. Two very different tries, I thought as well from Conway. Um,
2: what was you was your viewpoint of it? Uh, there were very impressive efforts, I thought. Oh my God, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Conway, what did you make? He made something like 47 meters. Uh, serious, serious yardage there. Yeah. Um, he did an awful lot to do actually, for for his first try, didn't he? Like you know, really, uh, to, to just to 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 try and hit that corner there. And I mean, in terms of was it a try? I mean, you know, it basically he he outstretched his arm <laughs> as far as he can and placed it down and you know there, there was no to my mind there was no real questioning um that and it was just the lead up to the try i think that was that was basically the the big harry and there um burn was very prominent in that as well so um that was that was one good one and then obviously the, the next one was just uh gibson park just a uh, really glorious pass out and he just Nothing much to do there, really, you know, just tap it down. Yeah, but uh, pretty impressed, actually. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I thought it was just that, I think, Joey, you alluded to the quick rock ball that was being presented here for Gibson Park. I'd say, couldn't believe his luck here because I think we would have felt before the game Wales were going to basically be competitive in the breakdown. They did name Jenkins, they named Basham, they named Wainwright. So it looked like a very mobile. Uh, very powerful back row unit, but I didn't think they had a really a chance here, uh, just given the performance of Van der Flair. The all Inster back row was kind of imperious. And uh, I suppose, Joe, Ringrose's uh, try was kind of really testament to that, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Um, and look, again, I'm not sure how it looked on the telly, but to me, it's, uh, all, all of the action seemed to be down the opposite end of the pitch to where I was sitting in the, the second half. So I was disappointed with that. Um, but it was just constant pressure. Like genuinely, Wales uh, barely saw the Ireland half of the pitch. Um, I mean, uh, again, if you're being picky, you could say that we could we should have come away with more than twenty nine points that we did. Um, but look, I think the conditions play their part in that. And look, as bad as Wales are, they're still a good team. Um, you know, they're they're not the kind of team that gives up thirty or four. 40 or 50 points every game and you know we did get 29 against them Yeah, you know, as regards uh ring rose's try uh i thought it, w- it was just rewards for the the play that had come before it uh i thought you know we were it was just constant pressure from ireland um and it uh it, it, it paid off uh when he crossed when he crossed the line for the try uh, yeah i think you know that's that uh 12 and uh 13 axis uh aki and ring rose i don't you know some people's uh still can't decide if Aki is best placed as a as number 12 or on the wing but the two of them play very well together and i think uh you know having that uh that that settled partnership is something that I'm not saying we haven't had it in a while, but we haven't had two players that play as well together uh, as they do in a while. Now, it, may be, it might count against Aki that he doesn't play for the, the same team as Ring Rose, but, you know, that's that's international rugby. That's where it comes down to, to the coach uh, to get them to work together. Um, and they do seem to be... Uh, they do seem to have a, a great relationship, a great partnership. Uh, yeah, I expect them both to start again next weekend.
0: Exactly. Um, I suppose, Liam, it's that cohesiveness I thought was very impressive from Ireland because usually in the opening round of the Six Nations tournament, you'd kind of see drop balls, particularly penalty discipline not being quite there. But the fact that Ireland didn't concede a penalty until the minute 53 and the amount of clean line breaks that Ireland had created, I mean, I think 12 and 13 played a huge part in that. What do you think of their performance in the three quarters?
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean they, they, they look like a, a proper partnership that's been playing for years. And that's that's the the best compliment you can you can give to them. Aki was just so incisive in, in his running. You know, it's something that, that I, I you might expect from Ring Rose, but when the moments of the match for me was just before the Ring Rose try and the kind of uh, the turnover and Hansen to Aki and away, you know, and those two as well, obviously, in the game played very well. Um, Hanson outside uh, Aki as well. So, um, and Ringrose, look, Ringrose has been there for years, hasn't quite hit the heights maybe that we'd expect from him, but um, look, he's still scored a lot of tries and uh, really powerful player. Yeah. Exactly. And I suppose it's, it's squad
0: depth. You, you mentioned Henshaw there as well, guys. I mean, James Hume was on the bench and got a valuable 25 minutes under his belt on Saturday as well. We do seem to have an awful lot of units now where there's an awful lot of squad depth co- competition suddenly emerged i mean three quarters would be one of the case in points but even i'm looking at our back three now i mean the, the the players that were left out you know you would t- you think in a typical season they would be kind of first team starters so it must bode very well for andy farrell and the the management to have these decisions to make going into the test match against france at the weekend uh joe uh
1: good point mark and when you look at the players that that came on you know you would think that Keane Healy would be a starter. Peter O'Mahony probably, you know, mightn't be in everyone's first uh, first starting 15, but he would be in the conversation. Connor Murray, um, you know, again, I was, you know, a aligned, uh, you know, went on the Lions tour, uh, and again, you'd someone you'd expect to start. You know, not just them coming on, but you know, when when they came on, there was no downturn in play. You still felt like that. This is. You know the strongest 15 uh, as we can put out and it's it's uh, it's going to be interesting you know how the coach reacts to you know how they played and what, how the team changed when they did come on um and how it's going to uh influence his uh his team uh when it's announced later this week honestly i i genuinely don't know i mean if if i had to be hypercritical i maybe i'd start murray ahead of gibson park but i think it would be experience would be the the decider there because gibson park did absolutely nothing wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me, did nothing wrong against Wales. Keen Healy, um, possibly coming into the front row, but again, you couldn't uh, fault anything that was done uh, by the Porter uh, in the the 60, 60 plus minutes that he was on the pitch. You know, I I, I honestly think that the the game, the result on uh, on Saturday, could potentially decide the tournament. You know, if we uh, if we get a, a win uh, in Paris, you know, are we, are we following that up with Italy uh, at home? Um, and you would know, expect us to win that. Uh, it'll be three wins uh, with you know England already on the back foot after losing uh, against Scotland, and then you know our fo- could uh, set everything up for the you know the the last game uh, in in for Ireland would be against Scotland on what will be you know a four day weekend in Ireland, and um, that could be some celebration.
0: Exactly, exactly. Liam, do you see any changes here on the 23 man squad? uh going to france given how dominant this performance was i don't think you know and look the bastion try i know there's a little bit of over elaboration but i think at that stage confidence was quite high so maybe it's a bit of lesson learned here heading into paris but i think 23 man squad wise you'd be hard pressed to tap one of these guys on the shoulder to say oh by the way you've been
2: dropped uh, this weekend no no you you couldn't say that and look I, I suppose we have to say this as as a monster man. Sometimes people are always saying, No, oh, this player should come in and and that." But like we we cannot argue with that twenty three. Cannot argue. Like at, at, a, at a push, maybe I'd be saying something like um, put put Mike Lowry in a twenty three or 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 Earl's if he was still available um for for Hume. I'd say that'd be that'd be about the 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 most you could push it at at the moment. You know. In terms of like props, yeah, I think actually yeah, Healy certainly could could uh, have it a start. Balem um, is a bit a bit just the, not quite the level of furlong, so I, I I would leave the rest of the front row there as well. And um, if if Henshaw again, I don't know what the situation is with his injury was available. Um, you could still you know look at maybe Henshaw going on onto the bench at least.
0: Yeah, I'd say trend this week is going to be ferocious here. Quickly with to Robbie Henshaw. Be interesting to see what the status of Ian Henderson here as well, because I know Rob Herring key have been, um, you know, are not going to be available for selection in Paris anyway, which kind of explains a few things. I know Dave Heffernan, Connick Ruby, has been drafted in um, to the Ireland squad, but Henderson's probably a close watch just to see. And I think game management wise, It'd be nice to see Henderson maybe kind of, maybe not coming in this weekend, but definitely in rounds three or four to kind of supplement that workload with James Ryan and maybe Ty Byrne as well to manage game minutes. So, yeah, I mean, quite a convincing performance. I don't know where Wales go to from here, to be perfectly honest, after last weekend, but they do have Scotland coming to the Principality Stadium. So that'll be an interesting watch. I suppose, guys, kind of, I suppose we're talking about Le Bleu. Uh, France, uh, it'll be interesting just to kind of see what France uh, come up with in terms of their f- 23-man squad, because, again, there was a few left-field decisions from Galtier, even though Galtier wasn't there due to COVID-19 uh, reasons. I don't know if you saw the match against Italy, but I think Italy gave us a little bit of hope, particularly in that first 25-30 minutes, in terms of uh, being competitive and, you know, being pretty accurate. Um, they were not 10-3 up at one point, so... I don't know what our impressions are of France uh, after the first round of the tournament, uh,
2: Liam. I I only saw the the actual some of the try score myself, but um you, you know f- France against Italy again to be fair it's forced up for them as well you know, and they're trying to get into the rhythm and the usual France Italy games France do pull pull away in the second half and you know that's that's ultimately what happened. But, um, yeah, I mean, they they, they, could, they still have to decide about out half, you know, are still going to, to keep rotating players. Um, and they have such a wealth of prop strength as well. I mean, they could change the props as well, to be honest with you. I think that's something that, we, that would probably be looked at as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be absolutely ferocious in that front five battle particularly just in terms of, you know, that, that scrum, that set piece, that line-out. Line-out, I thought, went relatively well for Ireland uh, last weekend against Wales. Uh, pretty good. I think it was a 93% uh, hit rate on the line-out. But I think that will definitely be, uh, dare I say, um, you know, challenged by France. And particularly the back three. You know, all the, the media will have gone to out uh, for the three tries, 13 carries, 83 metres. But I thought Pinot, from start to finish, just exuded class. We'd mentioned it, Liam, on the program here um, a few weeks ago when Ulster played ASM, Claremont, Vern He nearly single handedly turned that game around, you know, and he was so emphatic. I mean, you know, eight carries, 72 metres, and a gorgeous try as well in the second half to really kind of blow that game. But um, I suppose from an Italy standpoint, poor old Var- Varney probably is having nightmares over that kind of pass that he made there in this first half to allow uh, Genoa to literally go in unopposed. Horrific mistake really given the Italian work rate then but again I think we know what we're going to get from France here if they get any kind of quick rock ball they're going to look to be creative um, at all times I mean you know their November international uh, performance against New Zealand probably was the standout November international series performance so but I think there are still things to kind of maybe exploit from an Ireland perspective, given the brand of rugby that Ireland are playing here, the cohesiveness, the game plan, um, the speed of pass. I think it's a very um it's
2: a very intriguing game, to be perfectly fairly. I think in terms of as a game, I mean you're looking at two of the leading contenders, you know, um a year and a bit out from the World Cup. And I I, th- I, I think it's a game that, you know, honestly, I uh, considered how well both teams did in the autumn. I think it's it could be a 50-50 game. I think it's on 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 one kick. That's how close they got it. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I think breakdown officiating is going to be absolutely huge on the day. Um, yeah, I mean, Joe, uh, what are your kind of overriding feelings here uh, heading into this Paris game? You know, France coming on the back of that um, 37-10 win over Italy uh, yesterday. Um, I don't know what what's your thoughts there. We're kind of thinking it's pretty much a 50-50 game here. Uh, do, would you agree?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, after the opening rounds of the, of the tournament, you'd have to say that uh, Ireland and France are two of the are, are, are the two favourites. Um, we don't know how Scotland are going to fare next weekend against Wales, and obviously Wales uh, are not going to take a defeat lying down, and uh, their home fans are not going to let them, uh, you know, give up a a loss to to Scotland Um, you know if you look at it kind of in the long-term view uh, France have been building to the World Cup next year pretty much since since before the last World Cup uh, in 2019 ended and they want to put their stamp uh, on the Six Nations this year and next year uh, ahead of the the World Cup in France in in towards the end of next year Uh, and I think Beating Ireland, you know, the, the the newly ranked third side in the in the world, um, is definitely going to to help that. Uh, I, I genuinely don't know how the, the game is going to go. Um, uh, I thought France were a base conservative against Italy. Um, I think Italy's early try might have knocked them off their pace as well. Next weekend, you know, and maybe subconsciously they were targeting the Ireland game anyway. It was a case of look. Let's just turn up, beat Italy, and then we can worry about uh, Ireland next weekend. I think it's going it's I think it, it could possibly be the, the game that decides the tournament, honestly. I think the you know, the winner of it um the winner of, of that fixture would probably go on to win the the six nations in twenty twenty two. it's gonna be really close. I hate going to Paris almost as much as, uh, as I hate going to, to Cardiff or to to Twickenham. I kinda of hate all the way games to be honest. Um except Rome. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think France are doing what they did in the build up to the World Cup in New Zealand, to my mind anyway, in that they're preparing a young, talented, hungry side to win the World Cup. And I think, um, you know, beating Ireland would be a massive step on it, um, for them. I don't know. I, I, I don't see it being a blowout for either side. I think it could come down to less than seven points. Look, the last game in in Paris uh, that had fans at it is remembered for uh, for Sexton's long range, long long range drop goal to win it, um, and that was a, a once in a career strike. You know, the the kind of moment that a player only his quality can do, and even still, he might only do it a handful handful of times in his career. And we were really lucky that he he did it. He picked that moment to do it. You know, it could be uh, a moment of, of class on that level that decides the fixture.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Totally agree with you. It does have a feel, you know, it's Super Bowl weekend coming up in America and uh, the National Football League. I, I get the same sense with Ireland, uh, with Ireland and France now, you know, given the way the results went, given how England were taken down late by Scotland. I no disrespect to Scotland here, but it does have a sense of a kind of a, a very, very marquee fixture about this one in Paris. Given whoever wins this has an enormous momentum going for the rest of the tournament. I thought at the start of the tournament that a Grand Slam might be out of the question. But I think whoever wins this, I think, creates, you know, un- unassailable momentum going into the rest of the tournament. And uh, and to be fair to France, it's going to be fascinating that their team selection. Like Dante came into the three quarters instead of Akatoa. And I thought he was very explosive, particularly in the second half, particularly when the rain kind of relented a bit. You know, six carries for 31 metres. And I thought Aldrich, um from La Rochelle, number eight, was absolutely huge in the game. You know, 80 metres, 11 tackles. The offload for one of the tries was absolutely exquisite. And I think from a back row perspective for Ireland, Aldridge really is the pulse for France, particularly in the pack. If Aldridge is going well, I think the rest of the French pack is going well. So I think it's going to be an awful lot of intriguing matchups. I suppose, guys, while we're kind of talking about these games next weekend... Can I get your heads on the block time uh, just in terms of the games on tap for next weekend, round two? Um, Wales v Scotland. Uh, Wales, obviously, reeling after that Dublin performance. And as well as that, the under-20s got absolutely hammered, as you said, Joe and Liam. um, At the start of the podcast, 53 points shipped there. Wales vs Scotland. Scotland have a horrendous record in Principality Stadium. But do you feel that this may be uh, a golden opportunity for Scotland to get one over on Wales, Uh, Liam? Yeah,
2: absolutely. As I said, a horrendous record. But I mean, we, we talk about the match the weekend, you know, the France Ireland. Scotland have something going as well. Like if they if they can yeah, get a two, two in a row, and they will have serious momentum as well, you know. And it's one of those one of those kind of years where they, they could come out of nowhere, out of left field. Uh, you know, at the same time, Wales at home against anyone always have a chance, pretty much. Um they're still going to be missing those key, key players. Um, Scotland I, I think Finn Russell could have one of those special games and I just get the feeling that that Scotland will actually quite comfortably you know I think I think maybe two score uh, win at the weekend against Wales in, in principality
0: yeah Joe what's your reading on that game in the principality stadium you feel that there's a bit of a response in Wales or do you reckon that Finn Russell runs bar uh, a long over two win in Cardiff for Scotland
1: I think there'll have to be uh, a response from Wales because if there isn't then they're going to have to take a serious long-term view at the rest of the tournament but they'll be effectively out after after two losses. Um, they'll be doing extremely well to turn around um, and win the, the championship after that. Uh, look Scotland are going to be on a massive high after beating England. I think most teams are on a high after beating the old enemy uh but not just the win but retaining the Calcutta cup in front of their own, their home fans um the atmosphere was was absolutely fantastic uh on the telly uh going to the millennium stadium you know facing the you know facing wales in their home ground with that crowd behind them is a is going to be a different prospect um but i i do think scotland could come away with a win it's um, they it's probably their strongest team in a in a in a long, you know in a in a very long time, and as I say, Wales just look, uh, I don't know, it just looks like it's the one of the worst Welsh teams I've ever seen. Um, they looked, uh, you know, they they looked like they were all they were trying to do against Ireland was keep the score down, uh, more than anything else um and i don't think they'll be able to do that next weekend they will have to go for the winner as you know their fans aren't going to let them uh defend in their own half and i think that's going to play into scotland's hands um now you know without going into too much depth uh or too much uh you know into the the scotland game a lot of people are saying you know they only won because of the the penalty try that was awarded against england for something that i'm not sure i've ever seen in a rugby match um but the fact of the matter is that they won. Um they won't care how how or why they won. All they care about is that win. Um and it could be the same in Cardiff. You know, if they walk out of there with a one or a two point win, they won't care about that one or two points. They would care about the win. Um and you know, knowing that uh, you know, they've they've France to come in the in the third round at home, you know, a win, uh, you know, going into that with two wins. Um I in uh, you know, again with their home fans behind them, you know, they'll be set up really nicely for the for the rest of the tournament. So yeah, um I don't know, I mean you know, you never go poor bat uh, you know betting against Scotland, but I think I am going to uh give them the nod for, uh, for next weekend.
0: Yeah, I think for me hesitant nod and I think it's just purely on that Finn Russell. I think their back three as well could exploit an awful lot of space defensively. From Wales I think it'll be closer than people may think though I think there is a response definitely in Wales and I think hesitant hesitant not because of the very previous road trips Scotland have had down to Cardiff it's been an unmitigated nightmare in recent fixtures where we've expected Scotland to perform and be competitive and be blown out of the water so I think this one will probably be a tight, exciting game to be fair um, Italy England on Sunday guys in Rome and to be fair I'll start here with Italy I was pleasantly surprised by Italy, particularly their pack platform. You know, they went, um, you know, six from six on their scrums. Set piece was pretty good functioning as well. And they showed a bit of flair in the first 25-30 minutes. I think the first French try absolutely killed them. But they have something to build on here. Um, England come to town, and to be fair, any side worked or saw a test match, if you have sixty-two percent territorial advantage or possession in a test match, you should be winning that test match. So I think Italy are probably up against it. But uh, Liam, uh, who do you reckon uh, between Italy and England?
2: Yeah, for sure. But, but um, like in in terms of Italy, it's it's their their first home game in the tournament and and their, their their second overall, and that usually indicates. That Italy for the first two games are actually competitive, so it's not like later on in the tournament where you're pretty much guaranteed a collapse. So uh, it it won't be a cakewalk for for England in that sense. Um, it'll be a lot closer than people think. England, yeah, I, England, that was a, like an absolute disaster for them to to start off the tournament with that defeat. Um, it would be interesting to see if they if they make any significant changes and. Uh, I think England will pull away in the second half. I think they'll I give a, maybe 20 points to England at the end of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Joe, what's your reading on it? Uh,
1: yeah, I'd, i have to agree with the, the two lads. Uh Don't Like I said, uh, France might have been caught unawares by Italy uh, in the opening exchanges uh which led to their to their try. Uh but I don't think England will be. Look, they're gonna be smarting after losing in Edinburgh. Um and unfortunately Italy are gonna be there in the headlights. Um and I just think England are gonna probably I think you know they might struggle uh in the first half to put significant distance between them but over the eighty minutes, you know, the class is gonna show um and yeah England by twenty points. Uh, I think it's probably going to be it.
0: Yeah, I, I think some of the key questions for England here, I think, is a three-quarters balance. I thought I was completely off with Slade and Daly at 12-13. I thought Joe Marchant was a much better option at 13, a more direct ball runner with Slade as playmaker. And I think they're going to have to have a decision in terms of how they attack teams in their, in an Opposition 22. Too many of the times they seem to not want to bring ball into contact these little rubber kicks were fine for the first five, ten minutes, but when there was no plan B, there was no evolution. And as I said, you know, when you have sixty-two percent territory against Scotland defended manfully on the day, I think there are still a few kind of key kind of tactical issues. I mean, the only time that England really kind of played ball through the hands was Marcus Smith's try. It was actually a lovely line from Marcus Smith. For the try, but that was it. I didn't see much in terms of attacking threat there. Maybe the odd Simmons kind of big ball carry from eight. But think, as you say, guys, it may be a bit of a slow slog here for England initially, but they will probably secure the bonus point. But hopefully we've we'll a little bit more progression from Italy here. Um, you know, it, they had some pleasing aspects in that performance in Paris. I thought their try was very well worth considering the conditions. You know, it was a great diagonal kick from um Garbese um to Melon uh, Cello. So I think from that perspective, I think, you know, maybe an Italian loss, but I think hopefully they'll produce another good performance. Um, so, with that being said, uh, Liam, I think you have maybe one or two kind of comments here regarding Munster Rugby. Again, uh, we had kind of news of some contract renewals, but I think there's a bit of speculation with Malachi Fekutoa is going to be, obviously, a Munster player next season, which is great news. But we're kind of seeing some rumours in terms of maybe bat Rugby looking to kind of maybe poach uh one
2: of the squad at the moment yeah yeah that's 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 the rumor anyway yeah I mean the thing with Clotty is he he's going anyway and you know good luck to him he, he's been a great servant for Munster Rugby it's just what leave a bit of a sour taste in the mouth is when your own head coach <laughs> is already for a planning <laughs> to swipe some of the players um for, uh, for rugby and that's I suppose the noble question um, so yeah, I mean that's that's something that's kind of a bit uncomfortable, I think, isn't it? I think so, Joe. What would be your feeling there? But I suppose it's
0: professional sports at the end of the day, isn't it? Van Gran is leaving. We've known that for a while now, um, but
1: he is still employed by Munster Rugby. Um, to speak about one of his players playing for uh, his his future club is feels a little bit disrespectful. Um, you know. I don't know, you know, to put it a different way, how would he feel about if he was asked what players he's going to be selling from bat? Um, uh, or if it was one of the, say, uh, a Leicester, Connacht or Ulster player that he'd be interested in taking to bat? Um, you know, ask him about bat rugby when he's managing bat rugby. And I think he should only respond to questions about bat rugby when he's managing or coaching bat rugby. Um uh, so yeah, I mean, um, I will be sorry to see, uh, to see him go. I think he might have taken the team as far as he can, um, and it, you know, as well as that, I think a, a change of scenery might be better for his, uh, for his career, his coaching career, and you know, we don't know what his long term ambitions are. Maybe managing or coaching in South Africa, maybe coaching one of the Six Nations. Um, and uh, yeah, look, you kind of hope that you know when a manager you know what's the the old saying uh debt taxes and you know managers get in the sack um but you'd you'd hope that you know when when a manager does leave he leaves you know with a touch of class touch you know and respect for the the job that he's had and the fans that have watched him play over the his team play over the last number of years yeah maybe this is going to leave a bit of a sour taste look it could all be forgotten in you know four or five months time when he does finish uh finishes his, his his tenure at, at munster rugby but right now yeah it feels a bit disrespectful yeah
0: i kind of agree with you there i think but it's all part and parcel of professional sports as well and i think with chris, chris cloy i think we're blessed with the back row value options that we have now coming through our academy i'm thinking of Cadell in here i'm thinking of a sullivan i'm thinking of And thinking of, you know, Clumes, guys like that are going to have to get game time. So in fairness to Chris, he owes the club absolutely nothing. He's looking for maybe probably and the last contract with a view maybe to doing some coaching in bat rugby as well. And, you know, another kind of loyal servant or lieutenant for uh, Van Grand to build uh, a management around in bat next season. So I think best of luck. But my only fear is that he's looking to delve into the academy or looking at a few underage stars as well here within the province. And then that's where the issue really kind of comes in here. But I think I haven't heard much else in terms of other people maybe departing for Bath from Munster Rugby. But I think from that perspective, it's an interesting watch. And I suppose, as we said here, Liam, in previous weeks, we're going to get an avalanche of player announcements and departures particularly from the provinces, particularly in the Gallagher Premiership, top 14, probably in the next few weeks, um, setting expectations. And I think Damien Delende, I think uh, an announcement's probably going to be due pretty quickly, uh, given Malachi Fekitoa's uh, decision to come to Munster. I don't know,
2: guys, your initial reaction to that signing? uh, Positive? Fekitoa, yeah, I mean, as a player, just class, you know, but um, his injury record is, to say the least, questionable. And, uh, you know, I mean, God, we've been unlucky with with with, with and and other players as well. They just it just hasn't worked out. And um, yeah, I mean it's it's his two shoulder injuries. That's that's you know for a centre it's kind of a bit a uh, bit questionable. So you know, good player, but doubts about him has to be said.
0: I'm kind of with you, Liam, on this one as well. I'm really excited by the signing. I should be jumping up and down. I just have the sense, your medical report-wise, having really done the full research and analysis on the player, particularly on these Wasps cameos this season. One was in the start of the season. Another one was kind of just before the, new, the end of the year. He just seems to be having these niggles. I'm just hoping it's not a Jason Jenkins signing again where high hopes, high expectations. I think with RG Steinman, it's just cruel luck really on RG Schneiman's part that he's gone down with the knee injuries he has in Munster because I think his fitness issues prior to Munster were non-existent. I think Jenkins is probably one where you kind of know there is a few niggles here and it's continued in Munster. I'm just hoping for Munster. We can't afford another marquee import signing to be as ineffective, you know, as Jason Jenkins has been this season, maybe brutally harsh. But I think that is the case you know um so that would be my only fear i think Fakatoa literally if he was fully fit powerful ball carrier aggressive defender there's an awful lot of upside there but i think there are question marks joe what's your reaction
1: yeah i'd agree with that um you know on face value he's the kind of signing that you want to see come to monster rugby the kind of player that you would hope would, would bring them to the next level and maybe the kind of player they haven't been able to bring in in a while on the other side of things look his injury record speak is is somewhat suspect and if he's going to spend more time in the in the treatment room than on the pitch then what's uh, you don't you don't want to know the 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 reasoning behind uh the signing look if it works out obviously look we're all going to be delighted um but we've been stung by you know, players like that you know if you want to go all the way back to Christian Cullen um who came in with a with an amazing record but unfortunately just unable to to deliver um look we'll we'll just have to wait and see
0: lads we'll leave it there anyway and i think in news and brief really you know kudos to the ireland under 20s 53 points over the Welsh under 20s quick uh sound as well to ulster rugby they're top of the Euro- urc overall standings uh a very good 32-12 win over connect rugby at kingspan on friday night And then, as well as that, we may have to give a plug to Portugal as well, guys. Tier 2 rugby was a very entertaining game on Sunday um, against Georgia, and they managed to get a 25-point all-draw there, which is a very marquee result, I think, for Portugal, because everyone does assume that Georgia are that team that's hovering between Tier 2 and Six Nations, and it's very good to see a team like Portugal really provide a competitive competitive outing there in Tbilisi so congratulations to Portugal and upward and onwards there guys we leave it there Liam thanks very much for the insight and contribution and many thanks to Joe here for joining us tonight you can follow Joe on Irish abroad on Twitter and uh, yeah uh, all general musings there but uh, many thanks guys and uh, I, I, I suppose to speak for both of you uh, looking forward to the weekend ahead thank you for listening to this podcast episode if you liked what you heard in this podcast Why not subscribe to the Hawkeye Psychic podcast on either Amazon, Spotify, YouTube or Twitter platforms. You can also follow me at Hawkeye Psychic on Facebook and Twitter for the latest sporting opinions, articles and reports.